0: So this, this morning we're not using the screen because we're camping out in one passage. We are still in the book of Proverbs, so if you have a Bible, I'd recommend that you open up because we're going to be uh, staying there in, in just one spot today, uh, in Proverbs chapter 5. So if you, if you just use the Black Pew Bibles in front of you, it's page 530. If you're looking for Proverbs... Uh, it's kind of in the middle if you find Psalms. If you open up and find Psalms and you just go a little bit to the right, you'll find Proverbs after that. And we're in chapter 5 this morning. more thing. Okay, now we're ready to go. Uh, we're doing a series on wisdom. If this is your first week with us, or you didn't realize this, we're, we're working our way through the book of Proverbs uh, more in a topical way, looking at what this book has to say about life. Uh, We've defined wisdom as skill in the art of living in God's world. So God's made the world, he he, he created the whole thing, he's ordered how it works, he knows how to live in it such that we can have the best life, that we can flourish in it, and so we want to find out what God has to say about that, and so we're on a quest for wisdom. We want a deep understanding of how the world works so that we can live well. So far we've looked at what the book of Proverbs has to say about friendship, We've seen what it has to say about marriage, and today we're going to see what it has to say about sex. Now, the really great thing about a sermon on sex is I don't have to work on an attention getter, because you're you're just right there, sex gets your attention, okay? Advertisers know this, right? It's just ridiculous when you think about it, the things that are sold using sex. I mean, we just assume, well, of course you sell beer with sex, it's just, it's, it's, you know, we sell beer with sex. We sell perfume with sex. We sell cars with sex. Uh, GoDaddy.com sells website domain registration with sex. It, it, it works. It gets your attention. It's, it's there. So I, I don't have to work hard this morning to get your attention because, because sex is powerful. Okay? It's powerful. It's got a power to it. In the image I want to give you this morning as we, we work through what the Bible has to say. It's the image of fire. Okay, so think about fire. Fire is powerful. Fire is, is very powerful. I've been uh, watching some survival shows with my kids lately. I know this guy and his wife are stranded in some place and they have to survive for a couple days until they get rescued. And uh, so you know, it's been really helpful. I can survive in the African plains now, or the rainforests. The bayou, I've, I've got it down. I've learned how to make fire in four different ways. It's really good. Uh, but you watch these shows, and you realize fire is, is very important. It's powerful. Fire is life when you're surviving. You you need it. It can boil your water. It can cook your food, uh, keep you warm, keep enemies at bay, uh, be a signal for people to rescue you. It's very 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 powerful. Um, in everyday life, fire is powerful. We in my house, I use it. To, we use it to on our stove to cook food. We use it for heat. We have a fireplace we enjoy, it's very powerful, it's very good. But fire can also be very, very bad, right? If it's in the wrong place, if it's not controlled. Um, when we were buying our house, I've shared this story before, but it's a good one, I'm going to say, say it again. Uh, when we were buying our house, we had a home inspector who was very thorough. He was also an ex-fire chief, I think. He a, so he was very giving all sorts of extra safety tips as he was checking our home. And he was you know, sat me down with the fireplace so we've got, and he's going over some fire safety tips with how to use a fireplace. And I just remember his summary advice was, you're building a fire in your living room. Don't be an idiot. That's good, right? It's a fire, like just cause it's in the fireplace does not mean it's not a fire, it's a fire. So you gotta be, you gotta be safe, you gotta be wise. You wanna keep it in the fireplace, okay? is incredibly powerful, but if it's in the wrong place, The wrong time, the wrong situation, it can be devastating. Sex is like fire. Okay, it's incredibly powerful. It's incredibly powerful. If it's it's used in the right place and the right time, it can be amazingly good. But if it's used in the wrong place, the wrong time, the wrong ways, it can be devastating. Now that's the sermon in a nutshell. But we're going to go through that again using Proverbs 5 as our guide. Because what we see in Proverbs 5 as we go through it is that uh, we get both perspectives. First, sex used wrongly can be powerfully bad. Uh, But sex used rightly can be powerfully good. And we're going to see in both those cases how Jesus gives us help to recover from the wrong use and then to grow in our ability to use it rightly. So let's start in Proverbs 5, with the first point, sex used wrongly can be powerfully bad. And as we as we go into this, I want to remind you again, Proverbs, as it was written originally, was was in the, the genre of a father speaking to his son. So the advice is, is written in that direction of uh, advice for a man towards a woman, but you can gender switch it totally fine. It's not that hard, so just this is for both sexes. Here we go, Proverbs 5, verses 1 through 14. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you, may gain dis- that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. We'll stop there for now. That's the bad part. And I, I want you to see in this passage uh, two ways that sex can be used wrongly and the consequences there. First, sex can be used wrongly by you. As you are the person who is using sex wrongly, sex can be used wrongly by you. That is the main emphasis in this passage. The father is warning his son, You. Don't use sex wrongly. And the main point is saying, don't have sex with someone who's not your wife. That's verse 3 when it use, uses this phrase the lips of a forbidden woman, the lips, or the lips of a strange woman, is the, the literal translation there. Uh, it's, it's a woman who's not your wife. She, why is she strange? Why is she foreign? It's because it's not your wife. So this whole advice that, that's presented here, this wisdom, is don't have sex with anyone who's not your spouse. Anything else is wrong use. And, and that's, that's the basic principle. It's actually a very simple flowchart when you think about the biblical ethics on sex. Uh, the first question is, are you married? If the answer is no, then keep your pants on. Okay. If the answer is yes, Then the second question is, are you planning to express yourself sexually with your spouse? If the answer is yes, then go for it. If the answer is no, keep your pants on. It's really, really simple. The basic principle is don't have sex with someone who's not your spouse. That's the wisdom here. So this rules out things like affairs, adultery, premarital sex, pornography, one-night stands, I mean, the the variations are, unfortunately, pretty limitless. But if you get the principle down, you understand what wrong use and right use of sex is. Don't have sex with someone who's not your spouse. Now, why? Why does the Father say this? Why does God say this to us? Is it because he's a killjoy? No. Because you're building a fire in your living room. Don't be an idiot. He's saying, I've I've, I've designed a fireplace, a, a, a proper place for sex to be used and harnessed for good, so don't use it wrongly. The father here in Proverbs 5 gives some really practical reasons why it's dumb to have sex with someone who's not your spouse. saying, look, there's consequences. You build a fine in your living room, here's what's going to happen. First, there's a loss of reputation in verse 9. Here's begins giving reasons. He says, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Part of the consequences, what what often happens when you have sex with someone who's not your spouse is that there is a loss of reputation. This can happen lots of ways. You can imagine the, the husband who has an affair and he has to hear his son say, you used to be my hero. I looked up to you. That's a consequence, right? You didn't think about that you didn't think about that when you're making your choice but you lose reputation right? and, and for better or for worse what happens when, when, the, when the girl in high school sleeps with a boyfriend and word gets around that she's the sort of girl who puts out okay, I'm not saying it's right that people talk like that but look verse 9 people are merciless you're giving your years to the merciless that reputation will stick with you you'll be thought of as that kind of person it's very practically one of the consequences of taking the fire out of the fireplace is that you lose reputation. Uh, you, lose, you have financial difficulty often. Verse 10, says, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. Often what happens is that you, 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 you now have financial difficulty, burdens you didn't have before. You're, you're spending money. It costs you really, in real dollar terms, to have these sorts of Uh, sexual, um, to use sex wrongly, okay? You can end up with unwanted pregnancies. You can end up with a broken marriage and all the costs associated with divorce and alimony, child support. It could be a situation where you lose your job. Maybe you go to jail. Financial difficulties are a very real response to using sex wrongly. Uh, And and then, pretty much universally, it fills you with regrets. Verses 11 through 14, he says at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. Now that that could be a reference to sexually transmitted disease and that's a real risk. Uh, but for sure it's a reference to regret because he says how you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers. You know it's just this this regret no one ever says I am so glad I had that affair. Y- you don't hear that. No one ever says, I'm so glad I didn't wait any longer before I had sex as a teenager. Y- you don't hear that. It's, it's regre- you hear is regret. It's a real consequence to taking sex outside of marriage and using it wrongly. Now, I'm not, I'm not naive. I, don't, I mean, that's, sometimes I am, but not in regards to this. Like, I, I recognize we've probably all used sex wrongly. And we've suffered consequences because of that. But that's that's not the whole picture, okay? Because sometimes the consequences are not your fault. Sometimes the consequences are because sex has been used wrongly against you. And that's another category that we have here. Sex can be used wrongly against you. Sometimes you're the victim. Or at least more the victim than the perpetrator. Uh, You get a glimpse of this in verse three picture of this seductress right the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey her speech is smoother than oil but in the end she's bitter as wormwood if you just flip a chapter to chapter or a page maybe to chapter 7 you get another picture of this woman this sexual predator that we've got here Uh, I'll start in verse 10 it's the same same sort of picture it says behold the woman meets him chapter 7 verse 10 Dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, she's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. Today I paid my vows, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian Egyptian linen. I perfume my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox going to the slaughter, or a stag caught fast. Till an arrow pierces his liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. I'd never read it this way before, but it just jumped out to me this week. This is a picture of a sexual predator. This is a, a woman, and remember you could flip this easily to, to be a man, but in Proverbs here, it says, this is a woman who is, who is bent on getting this guy who's just walking down the street to come into her house and to sleep with her while her husband's away. And she pressures, she cajoles, she seduces, she flatters, trying to get him so that she can use him for her own sexual pleasure. This is a very real category. Sex can be used wrongly and is used wrongly against you. That's just really sobering, right? When you look at statistics, it's highly probable in a crowd this size, right now, five to ten of you were probably abused sexually as children. Um, you, you, five to ten of you have probably been sexually assaulted. Okay, right here. Um, that number gets even higher when you, when you do include just, maybe you wouldn't call it rape, but a bad relationship where someone pressured you and used you to get what they wanted and then left you, discarded you. You could probably higher if you would include the fact that maybe you were introduced to pornography by someone else maybe even your dad? Or in some other way, I mean, it probably includes all of us if we raise the bar and say, in some other way, you've had your view of sex warped by what someone else has done or said or shown you? See, it's real. Sex can be and is used wrongly by you and against you. And in both cases, there's consequences. In chapter 7, verse 23, it sums up, it says, he doesn't know that it will cost him his life it's, it's real okay sex is powerful it creates powerful wounds when used wrongly at the very least if sex is used wrongly against you it can make sex seem like a dirty and inherently wrong thing it's also well documented that it can cause substance abuse self harm depression food problems, eating disorders, suicide. It it hinders your ability to trust other people. It certainly hinders your ability to trust God if this has happened to you. Because sex is powerful, you understand. Sex can be used wrongly by you, it can be used wrongly against you, and because it's so powerful, it leaves huge and gaping wounds. So if we're going to talk about sex, we've got to talk about that. And we've got to talk about how the gospel provides healing for you. See, the third point is that Jesus can redeem you from a wrong use of sex. There is hope. There's always hope. Jesus can redeem you from a wrong use of sex. Whether it's a wrong use that you have done... Or a wrong use that was done to you? The answer is the same. Now, I'm going to give you a thumbnail sketch. Because these are deep wounds. Sex is powerful. I'm not going to just put a band-aid on you up here. But I want you to see how this works out. First, if if we're thinking about sex used wrongly by you, how does Jesus redeem you from that? Well, first of all, you've got to know you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. Sex is a sin like any other. Misuse of sex is a sin like any other. And it's forgiven in the same way. Jesus died on the cross to pay a penalty for your sin and mine. The sins that we've done, whether it's respectable sins, like pride, perfectionism, or more secret, darker sins. You can be forgiven. God loves you so much that through the death of Jesus on the cross for you, you can have your slate wiped clean. And the second thing is that you can change. Because maybe you find yourself right now thinking, "Uh, this is something in my past, but this is life right now. I am trapped in bondage to a sexual sin. The good news of the gospel is that you can change. That when you become a Christian, Jesus forgives you, accepts you, and moves into your life. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And with the power of God in your life, relying on him by faith, you can change, you can have freedom from the bondage to the sin. On the flip side, if you had sex used wrongly against you, you need to know that you are accepted and dearly loved. First of all, you've got to know that. You've got to see. You look to the cross, you see Jesus dying on the cross for you, knowing you, knowing your shame. He's, he doesn't It's not like you keep a secret from Him. He knows what's happened to you. He knows how you've been hurt. He knows that shame. And He loves you. He affirms you. He accepts you. He showed you that on the cross. And you can be cleansed. You've got to know that you can be cleansed. All all of us have had all sorts of things happen to us. We've all been wounded and injured and warped in different ways. But the beauty of the gospel is that when God says, "I'm, I'm redeeming you, He says, I'm making you new. So he he takes you, the God who made you in the first place can make you new, can make you clean, can give you a fresh start. Now this is big stuff. It's going to take some time probably to work through that wherever you are, but I want you to see this is how the gospel works. If sex has been used wrongly by you or against you, you need Jesus. You need him to forgive you, to cleanse you, and to make you new. And that got pretty dark pretty fast. We're going to switch gears. You've got you to see, I mean, it, it, it's it's so serious and so dark and so real because sex is powerful. It can rip through your life like a forest fire if it's not properly contained, but we don't say, well, for that reason, let's just chuck it. And we say, what does the God say? How do we use it rightly? How do we move past all that bad stuff that we maybe learn from TV or learn from our parents or learn from our friends or learn from Playboy? How do we move past that to a right view of sex so that we can harness the power for good? So, how, how can we do it? Sex used rightly can be powerfully good. So let's move into the next part of chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Okay. So first question, what is right use? So we're talking about right use of sex. What is right use? It's within marriage. Hopefully that's clear by now. I think I've said that a few times. But I want you to see that's in the passage here. He's he's saying be within marriage. Now there's some, some... some poetry here, it's pretty hot, I uh, hope you can handle this. But you know, when he's talking here about cisterns and springs, that's metaphorical, right? He's not, he's not saying, son, go get a drink at the well, don't drink from other people's wells. The, the cistern or the well, I hope for obvious reasons, is, is an image of female sexuality, right? It's receptacle. Okay? The spring is an image of male sexuality, scattering, you know, shooting forth, you get the picture. He's saying, stick with your own cistern. He's speaking to the son, the man. He's saying, stick with your wife. You've got a wife. Have sex with her. Don't go sowing your wild oats all over the place. Stick with your wife. That's the right use within marriage. Not with strangers, but with your wife. Now, what are the consequences if you do that? If you actually stay within that fireplace that God-designed place where sex can flourish, we see, first of all, that married sex is powerfully good. Powerfully good in quality. Okay. It's powerfully good in quality. Verse 18 through 20. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Yes, that's the check the cover. That's the Bible. It's in there. I didn't switch books on you. Married sex is powerfully good in quality. There's no hint here that sex is a dirty thing, that it's a sinful thing. There's also, maybe surprisingly, no hint here that sex is, uh, is about procreation. I mean, certainly it is, but some people would say it's only about that. It's, it's not, you know, decidedly here. Uh, he's not talking about how wonderful it is uh, to make babies. He's saying, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated in her love. There is a biblical command. You get that? A command to enjoy sex with your spouse. And if you think this is too much, read Song of Solomon. If you don't get it, ask somebody to explain it to you. And then you'll realize why some people rip it out of their Bibles before they hand them to their children. Okay. There is a biblical command. It, married Christian sex should be the best sex there is. He says, be intoxicated in her love. This is a word for a, a person who's so drunk that they're staggering. Down the street because they can't walk straight, they're rocked their world does' it's, it's just intoxicating okay married sex should be staggeringly good. This is so different right from what you hear from the world Marriage is where sex goes to die right your TV shows they'll say the best sex is illicit sex you know the 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 hookup after meeting at the bar or the Quickie in the closet when you just you know when this this weird stuff they say this is what real hot good sex is married sex is boring probably doesn't even happen it's no good the the truth is the power of sex is harnessed and flourishes in marriage now if you're uh, if you're not there yet and you don't feel like intoxicating really describes your experience, um, it, it can take time, right? It's a practice. Third, married sex is powerfully good in quantity. Look at verse 19. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Married, fr- married sex is supposed to be frequent. This is not the only passage I'm building that off of, but it's enough for here. Married sex is supposed to be frequent. Now, I, I recognize it's dangerous to talk about frequency. I'm not going to stand up here and be like, this is the amount of times that you should have sex every week or every month or whatever. You've got to work that out with your spouse. That's between you guys. Um, but if I, and I'll, I'll just stick my neck out a little bit and mention that I saw a report in the Wall Street Journal this week, and here's their statistics. They say that 32% of married couples report having sex two to three times a week. So 32%, about a third of married couples, report having sex two to three times a week. 47%, about half, had sex only a few times a month, and 20% of married couples were less than that. So less than a couple times a month. if you've got physical problems, or you've got emotional scars, you know things in your past that you're working through, and it's just really hard for you guys to to have sex frequently. And you're working on. It, I understand that. I applaud that. I'm not talking to you, okay? But if you're physically okay, you know you, you, you function, and um, you don't have big emotional baggage. You just kind of got bored, or tired of it, or something came up, and You just kind of stopped having sex, or or you only have sex every month or maybe it's been six months or a year that's not good Okay, it's not biblical it's not God's intent Uh, and and if it's if it's one sided as in one spouse is withholding from the other like one wants it but the other doesn't and that's been going on for quite a while you may even be sinning and I'm not, not standing here alone like that's a crazy idea Dan just came up with. Um, you might be surprised if, if all you know about the Puritans is what you learned from the Scarlet Letter, which does not represent them very well, uh, you might be surprised to find out that the Puritans actually had a very high view of sex, encouraging sex in marriage. And there's a you know, famous, in my circles, uh, case where uh, in, in 1640, there was actually a man excommunicated from his church in Boston because he refused, quote, conjugal fellowship unto his wife for two years, and the church, the Puritans said that's not right, you can't do that to your spouse, now why would they they take a stand on that, because marriage is the place where sex is supposed to flourish, and to deny that, to cut it out, inequivocally, uh, to cut sex out of your marriage is to deny the creator's intent that is supposed to be functioning and happening in marriage, God created sex. He created marriage and he wants them to be together. So you see, in marriage, God's design is that there would be a great quantity of amazing sex binding husbands and wives closer and closer together. So how do we get there? This is a scriptural ideal. How do we get there? Here's here's the last point. This is probably as awkward for you to hear as for me to say but it's that Jesus can make you a better lover. I'm serious, I wouldn't say that if it wasn't biblical. Jesus can make you a better lover. Now, what's what's the secret? What's the key ingredient to great sex? If you're coming from a biblical perspective, what's it about? you, You think about marriage, what's the point of marriage? Right off the bat, when God creates Adam and Eve, it says the two became one flesh. Yes, that is a statement about what physically happened, but it's bigger than that, right? It's that the two become one, two people, two individuals now have a common identity, a joining together, a union, a mystical union. It's, it's deeper than a business partnership. It's a marriage. It's two people becoming one. The, the goal of marriage is in some ways like the trinity, this mysterious way of God is three persons but one person. The goal in marriage is for, for two people to become in some way one. If that's the intent of marriage, you see how sex fits in there? right? Great sex is going to be sex that's in line with that intent of marriage. So great sex will be sex where the two become one, not just physically, but in every way. See, the more that you can let go of thinking about yourself in sex and begin thinking about the other, the better your sex will be because that's the creator's design. It's about two becoming one. So that means you've got to let go of your fears, your self-consciousness, your anxiety, your baggage. You've got to let go of your desire for pleasure and instead begin thinking of the other. So the two become one. And it takes incredible vulnerability to do that. It takes incredible sal- sacrificial love to do that. But both of those skills are learned at the foot of the cross. Okay, This is why I'm saying that Jesus can make you a better lover because what you need is vulnerability with confidence and sacrificial love for another. You get that at the cross. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he was saying to you, I know you, and I love you. I know how bad you are. I know that you deserve to die for your sin. I understand that, and I'm offering myself to die in your place. I love you. I love you. Now, when you, when you meditate on that, when, when that sinks down deep in your heart, you are filled with confidence. You are filled with boldness. You, it strips away your insecurity because Jesus knows you, and he loves you. And so you can set aside your fears and your anxieties and your neediness because you're satisfied in Christ. At the same time, when you look at the cross, you see Jesus offering himself sacrificially for you, giving up everything he had so that you could be made rich. And and as you ponder and meditate on the love that Christ has for you, your worldview changes such that you no longer focus on what can you get for yourself, but becoming like Christ, you desire to give to the other, to sacrifice Okay, and when you take that vulnerability paired with confidence and that self-sacrifice into the bedroom, it exponentially improves your sex life. Because now you're not thinking about yourself. You're not defensive, you're not afraid, you're not self-seeking, you're serving and loving. You're fulfilling the intent of marriage of two, becoming one in every way. And when you do things according to the Creator's design, they're just better. Sex is like fire. It can be terribly bad. If you take its power and you put it in the wrong place at the wrong time, in the wrong way, it can be devastating. You can be deeply hurt by its misuse, but it can also be incredibly good. It has power to bring great health and joy and healing and unity into your marriage. And in both cases, we fall short, but Jesus is there to help. Now, final word. Sex is great, but as great as it is, Jesus is better. Okay? So I don't want you walking away from here thinking, I like Jesus because he helps me with my sex life. Okay? He certainly does. He helps with all of our lives. He loves us, and he wants us to flourish in every way, but that's not why we love him. We love him because he himself is good enough. Because he himself satisfies our deepest needs. So I'm just telling you, if you come to Jesus for the sake of sex, you're not going to be satisfied. It doesn't work. If you come to Jesus to get rich, it doesn't work. If you come to Jesus to be healed of your disease, it doesn't work. But if you come to Jesus for Jesus and you let him transform you from the inside out, he works in all sorts of ways in your life to bring healing and life and flourishing. So if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Come to Jesus because he's worth it. A relationship with him is better than the best sex, and it lasts forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that shocks me out of my comfort zone, but in delightful ways. Thank you for the truth that we need to hear, that correction that leads us in the path of life. Father, I pray for healing today for those of us who have been damaged by the wrong use of sex. I pray for your grace to flow over all of us who feel shame over the ways in which we have used sex wrongly or had it used against us. And I pray, Father, just bless us. Bless the marriages in this room. Bless those who are not married and who hear this sermon and think, oh, but I'm so frustrated. Lord, would you give them peace today? Peace and confidence to know that if they live life rightly, that you will take care of them. That sex is not ultimate. That singleness can be fulfilling. Father, we are all over the map, and we just love you and thank you for your grace. Would you encourage us today? In Jesus' name, amen.